Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Jake Krakowski. Jake is an Atlanta-based puppeteer, writer, actor, director, teaching artist, and as of late, Yiddishists. He's also an alum of the Yiddish Book Center's Steiner Summer Yiddish program and the puppeteer behind the amazing production of Leipzig. Welcome, Jake. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's great to be here. Um, it's really kind of crazy that we are actually virtually connecting today because you are here at the Yiddish Book Center in your capacity as an RA for Steiner Summer Yiddish Program. And I think we saw one another fleetingly, yes? That's right. Yeah, ships in the night. Yeah. What was it like to come back um, as an RA? Well, you know, it was uh, it was an extraordinary experience and it was uh, in many ways surreal because um, this was my first time stepping foot on the Yiddish Book Center's campus after spending over two years uh, digitally there. Um, you know, I did uh, both summers, beginner and intermediate, as a Steiner student myself uh, over Zoom. And then I've also been uh, working for the Center uh, for the Wexler Oral History Project since last fall. And so it was kind of wild to arrive uh, this summer and realize that this place that has felt like um, a home of sorts for a while now. Uh, it's actually the very first time I was there in person. Um, and it was just, it was just wonderful to be there. Great, well, it was great to have you here. So Jake, I'm eager to ask you if you will share the story of how you came to apply to the Steiner Summer Yiddish program at the re recommendation of Professor Miriam Udell and how it leads us to the puppet movie. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is a story that is really uh, a situation of one thing leading to another, to another, to another. Um, so I think like a lot of my peers, I grew up, I had a pretty traditional like Jewish day school education, which amongst other things meant that there was really very little Yiddish language or culture for me growing up, but little bits of it around the edges. So one of the few pieces of Yiddish culture that was around when I was growing up was um, the, the Fools of Helm or the Wise Men of Helm stories, the series of folk tales about a village full of foolish, clownish Jews. And um, I met Miriam Udell initially because of a play that I wrote um, for my undergraduate honors thesis that sort of reimagined the Helm stories uh, as a way to look at Holocaust memory um, and things like that. and. Um, this brought Miriam and I together and, and she had me come and read my play for classes that she taught about uh, Yiddish children's literature. Um, and for a while that was it. And then uh, I wanna say in the winter of 2019, Miriam invited me to join a seminar that she was teaching. Um, she was getting ready to publish Honey on the Page, her fabulous treasury of Yiddish children's stories that she collected and translated. Um, and related to that, she taught this seminar on Yiddish children's literature. And I went thinking that it would be, you know, interesting. Um, and I had no idea that after just one session of this seminar, I would have my mind like totally blown apart by this entire literary civilization um, that I had no idea about having been educated in Jewish day school for many, many, many years. Um, I No one ever told me there was such a thing as modern Yiddish literature. Um, you know, I knew little more than about Yiddish than like 
you know, than your average person. I knew Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> I knew that most of my grandparents spoke this language, I think. And that was sort of it. Um, and so I continued to attend, I think it was three sessions and Miriam, you know, sort of caught my eye one evening uh, and said, you know, I can tell you're, can tell you're really excited about this material. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just blown away, not just by the stories we're reading, but by the incredible um, sort of cultural and historical context that is necessary even to read these kids' stories. You know, there was, I think, you know, I got there the first evening and she said, okay, we're gonna read some children's stories. But first, in order to understand how we got there, you're going to have to learn about the Jewish enlightenment and how socialists and communists brought a revolution and secular education to the Jews of the Pale of Settlement and all of this political and historical and ideological stuff that I never would have thought would be necessary to know before reading a kid's story. Um, and so I, I fell in love with all of the different facets of this. And then by the end of the seminar, um, Miriam and I were chatting about one set of stories in particular, these stories by a guy named Chavre Paver, real name Gershon Einbinder, about Lobzik, the little Yiddish-speaking communist puppy dog. Um, you know, and Miriam said to me, you know, wouldn't this make a great puppet show, do you think, Jake? Because she knew that um, for the last four or five years, so one of the main forms that my work has taken has been as a puppeteer working in the theater. And I said, yes, of course. And also, who on earth is going to produce a <laughs> Yiddish communist children's book about puppy dog and puppet style? Um, and what Miriam said to me was, you know, basically like, whatever, we'll figure out those details later. What's important now is that you go and learn Yiddish, <laughs> essentially. Um, and at her, at her encouragement, um, I applied to the Steiner and honestly, you know, I was very hesitant. I was like, this isn't, I'm too old for this program. And, you know, I'm not sure if it's right for me to do this. Uh, it's starting to learn a brand new language. And she said something that really, really stuck with me actually, um, which I don't think anyone had ever quite said to me before, which was, um, you know, at my protestations, Miriam said something along the lines of, you know, Jake, I'm not encouraging you to do this for my sake and not even really for your sake, um, but because I think that you may have something to contribute to this field. And that was really, that was really moving to me, you know, to, I think like most of us, all I ever really want is to make my teachers proud um, and to have someone that I admired and respected in that way, like really proactively believing in me and encouraging me um, meant a great deal to me. Um, and so, of course, I went, I think the next day, filled out an application. And, you know, this was in March of 2020. And so, of course, weeks before we were supposed to start this immersive residential experience, everything closed down. Um, and I remained so impressed by the staff of the Steiner program because they, in such a short amount of time, completely reimagined this program and I was amazed at how effective uh, the sort of digital pedagogy, I guess, was of doing a language intensive over Zoom that had to be arranged at the last minute because we learned an extraordinary amount and within probably less than a month, I sort of had this realization of, oh, okay, this is so much more than 
a fun and interesting thing to do for a summer. This is going to change my life, I think. So um, you went on from there then to begin work on the film, yes? Yeah, you know, we, so it's the program's about seven weeks long. You study about a college undergraduate years worth of Yiddish in that seven weeks. So you come out of it with a, with a surprising amount of um, facility uh, for, for someone who still very much feels like a beginner. And immediately, as soon as it was over, probably before it was over, I got back in touch with Miriam and I was like, okay, I'm 100% in, <laughs> I'm all in on Yiddish, let's do it. Let's figure out how to make this happen. Um, and the story with, you know, to answer my sort of cynical, skeptical question of the months previous, who on earth is gonna produce such a thing? We got to talking and I sort of had this realization of, you know what, I bet a lot of folks, a lot of feeders and universities are probably a bit desperate in this moment to figure out how on earth are we going to plan a semester or a school year's worth of performances and programming given these sudden strange new limitations. And so there might be a little more open than usual to let's say a pitch from an alumni or something along those lines. Um, so I'm fortunate enough to have retained um, really good relationships with, with a lot of the folks in the theater studies department at Emory University uh, where I studied undergraduate and at Theater Emory, which is the professional theater uh, in residence on campus. And I pitched this idea knowing almost nothing about what Miriam and I wanted to do, just saying, hey, there's this incredible set of stories that exist at this really fascinating set of historical and linguistic and political and cultural and artistic intersections. And we want to make a puppet show out of it. Um, and it really was as vague as that at first. And, you know, we had an idea that of course, this invites a sort of interdisciplinary approach. Okay, so maybe we can get the theater department together with the Jewish studies and the German studies program and find a way to create a really collaborative project out of this sort of inchoate series of exciting little ideas. Um, and they were very receptive and it ended up becoming one of the most exciting and satisfying creative projects I've ever been fortunate enough to work on. And I. I credit that to a great extent with the really, really generous and extraordinary team of artists and others that I got to collaborate with in uh, in bringing Lobzik to life. It's, I mean, it's so brilliantly produced um, on all levels. It's inventive. It's wonderful. It's engaging. You've reached a huge audience with this, yes. Um. Huge for something that could be considered fairly niche, I would say, certainly okay. more than I'm, I'm liable to with, uh, with a live performance, which is what the overwhelming majority of my work has been up until now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was it like to do this as a film? I, I, there must have been attendant challenges. Um, and, and again, we, we've uh, got a feature about you and Pockentrager, the Yiddish Book Center's English language magazine, um, with some great pictures behind the scenes, but you're masked. So how was all of the collaboration? And, um, and again, realizing this in terms of the, you know, the illustrations and stuff are fabulous. Yeah, I mean, we so we knew very early on that obviously the visual element was going to be central. Puppetry is primarily a visual medium. Um, and exactly how we wanted to go about that, we weren't sure. Um, and like a lot of creative projects, um, a lot of what we ended up going with was shaped by our limitations. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, those 
pretty hard boundaries ended up becoming a very fertile series of opportunities for how to explore this given how limited the possibilities were. You know, in a different world, maybe I would have trained half a dozen undergrad feeder students in, you know, Muppet style puppetry, and it would have been something totally different. But very quickly, we realized, um, for one, I couldn't bring any students into a space with me physically. You know, puppetry often involves very close physical proximity. You might have three or even four people operating a single puppet. So we know that was a no-go. You know, this is pre-vaccines, pre-anything. So we were operating under um, really uh, serious caution about all of these things. Um, and so we kind of realized, all right, how do we approach this given those limitations? And uh, after not too long, we landed on paper puppetry and sort of a toy theater approach inspired in part by folks like uh, Jenny Romaine's Great Small Works who have done so many fabulous things in that medium. Um, and once we started playing with that, we realized, okay, so this is, it's not just a book, but it's a, these are children's books. There are these fabulous illustrations in the original 1935 book by uh, Lou Bunin, really interesting figure. Um, what if we consider this sort of like a, like a book come to life, like a pop-up book or something and like really embrace the textual aesthetics of this sort of, modernist uh, Yiddish design that Haver Paver was in the midst of. You know, this is a very paper and ink heavy culture. Um, and so in addition to the original illustrations by Lula Bunin, we looked to folks like uh, Yossel Cutler and Zuni Maud, two Yiddish uh, modernist illustrators and radical weirdos um, mm -hmm. whose incredible works in ink uh, we delivered to our designer and puppet maker Ryan Bradburn as a piece of influence saying, you know, we're not trying to copy this, but we really want to be informed by the folks who came before us. And uh, Maud and Cutler were also an inspiration in part because they are the constituent members of Modicut, the only extant Yiddish puppet theater that anyone seems to know anything about and perhaps the only one that there ever really was. Um, Modicut is, I won't go into the full story about them, um, People are really curious. Eddie Portnoy has written a bunch of great articles about them, but they did uh, this sort of heavily stylized, but also heavily naturalistic political Yiddish puppet theater uh, starting in New York among the sort of lefty art circles, but then they became wildly popular. They traveled all over the world. Um, and so we, we did want to ground this project very heavily in its original context and in its forebears and to pull on uh, as much of that influence and as much of that literary and aesthetic culture that the work springs forth from as possible, um, while still making something contemporary and new and, and, and you know, relevant to the folks who'd be watching it as well. Um, and the relevance factor was not at all a challenge because partially to Habra Pavar's credit and partially to maybe our chagrin as a society, the sort of political and social issues that he is writing for in the book have become no less relevant. Um, and in fact, when Miriam and I sort of tasked ourselves early on in the adaptation process of going, all right, of the 12 original stories, which do we want to adapt for this project? Um, we had a, a glut of relevant material. You know, it's, um, it's an explicitly political work. It's an explicitly sort of polemic work. You know, Haver Pavar was writing for the children of Yiddish speaking, working class, 
leftist politically aligned Jewish families. Um, and he had a really explicit ideological angle. You know, he was affiliated with the International Workers Order, which were affiliated with the Communist Party, and they had really specific ideas that they wanted to teach these kids. And um, something that sort of made Haver Paver and his organization unique is that they, unlike uh, maybe the Arbiter Ring and some other related organizations at the time, they didn't think that children needed to be shown a model of how to exist in the world. And then later when they're grownups, they can become politically active. Um, the IWO believe children are ready to go. They're ready to join the revolution, to be political actors uh, at their age. They are mature enough to understand complicated ideas about the world we live in, about its problems, about ways that we might try and make it better. Um, and that's what he put in his stories. Um, and so a lot of the things that seem a little bit improbable, um, there's the story about the, the Pionerin, the young pioneers, the sort of leftist Boy Scouts, uh, and how they call a strike at school uh, demanding free school lunches. You know, we're talking about the Great Depression. Um, this is a thing that really happened. And the only thing in Haver Paver's stories that's unrealistic is that there was a trained dog distributing radical leaflets at the time. But other than that, most of what he's writing about was really happening. And most of the fundamental issues um, are just as relevant, if not more relevant now. You know, the stories are about poverty and joblessness and income inequality and racism and police brutality. And even uh, in the case of one of the stories we adapted, a frightening airborne illness. Um, it almost seemed uh, too on the nose, some of these materials. Um, so it was, it was no challenge to find stuff that was, that was relevant for our audiences. Um, and I can say I'm incredibly fortunate. It was really no challenge to find um, a team of collaborators. I, I've done a lot of collaborative work working in the theater. You're always working uh, with teams of folks, often people with very diverse sort of skill sets and approaches. Uh, it's one of the things that I love about the field. And always people say no when you approach them looking for collaborators because everybody's busy, everybody's got stuff going on. Um, and I think this is maybe the only project in my entire professional life where every single person that I reached out to said yes. Um, and I think amongst other things that really speaks to a sort of generosity of spirit that I have come to uh, expect in the Yid contemporary Yiddish cultural world, um, all of the time folks are just so excited by your enthusiasm. They're excited that somebody is interested in same things that they're interested in and wanting to contribute to this culture and help grow it and help explore new facets of it that haven't really been unearthed necessarily. And so, you know, for all of the uh, Yiddish language dialogue, so the way that we adapt it essentially is like a lot of children's books, there's a very um, solid thread of narration, you know, that runs throughout. And so the narration we kept in Miriam's wonderful new English language translation, because we really wanted to make that a central part of the work because, uh, well, for one, it is the first full translation of this book into English. And uh, it's just absolutely fabulous. You know, Miriam is a really incredible translator. And so we wanted to maintain that. Um, and so that was the main place that we collaborated with the Emory University students was we had them uh, performing as the narrators. And then in order to not only honor Haver Paver's fabulous writing, but also to really put the Yiddish kind of the work 
front and center, we made sure to keep all of the spoken dialogue in the original Yiddish, you know? Uh, and I think this is in part just because I was actively falling in love with the language while we were working on this project. Um, and I really wanted people to get to hear it. And I wanted to, people to get to hear conversations happening in Yiddish that uh, sort of defied a lot of the received stereotypes we have about who spoke Yiddish and where did they speak it and what did they talk about, you know? People think either you're in a shtetl running from Cossacks or you're in a sweatshop in New York. And while certainly you might be one of those things, uh, you know, Yiddish is a thousand year old civilization that's been spoken on uh, nearly every continent. And I wanted people to get to encounter Yiddish in, uh, in new contexts. Um, it's also really interesting because these stories are not explicitly Jewish necessarily. Like if you were to read them in English translation, um, you wouldn't necessarily know that they had a Jewish or Yiddish origin. And so I think I also, for the sheer factor of maintaining that Jewish context, I wanted people to get to hear it in Yiddish. And so when we wanted to find folks to, to read all of these different characters, Miriam and I reached out all across the board. Um, I reached out to personal friends, people in the Yiddish theater, uh, people who perform Yiddish music, fellow Yiddish students. Uh, I reached out to Asya Feisman Schulman, my Yiddish teacher and the director of the Yiddish language program at the Book Center to have a guest starring role as the teacher in the story. And we even reached out to folks like, um, like Shane Baker, who's uh, probably the most prominent Yiddish actor of our moment. And all across this spectrum of sort of experience, professionalism, renown, what have you, every single person said yes, I would love to help. I'd love to be a part of it. It sounds super neat. And that is incredibly gratifying and it is not the norm. And I find that this attitude is really pervasive in the Yiddish world. Folks are really eager to say yes. Um, I think you've expressed so many ways in which the language and the literature and the culture have impacted you and taken you on this journey. Um, you know, what seemed like a very maybe straightforward project that would build on your work um, in terms of puppeteering, um, et cetera, has really, really revealed to you a culture and um, how we can continue to regenerate it and evolve it. And, um, and the fact that you've been able to reach out to people, including you know, a fellow alum, Michal Yashinsky, I have to ask the question, you know, could you imagine that this would take you in the directions it's taken you and maybe put you on a trajectory that, again, you never could have imagined in terms of your work. I, I had no idea, truly. Um, I don't think I would have known what to expect when I sent off that application in, I don't know, January of 2020. But I certainly didn't expect for it to take such a central role in my life and to really like reorient a lot of my creative and professional interests, honestly, amongst other things. Um, I think I was really, really primed for Yiddish. It, it arrived at the exact right moment for me. And I mean, in some ways that's very just literal and temporal in that like, I think doing the Steiner program online during the very first months of the COVID pandemic sort of saved my life and my sanity a, a bit. Um, but it also arrived at a time where, you know, I grew up, I had a pretty, um, a fairly religious education. I had a sort of interesting experience of having a, a quite secular home life, but 
having a, a really, really rigorous and thorough religious education growing up. Um, but then after that, I went to a uh, I went to a Christian high school, um, and then for call at, at undergrad, I wasn't particularly involved in Jewish life. Um, and really, it wasn't until I started digging around researching Yiddish stories when I was working on that play for my undergraduate thesis that I started to reconnect to Yiddishkeit. Um, but I think I had always been sort of not just open to, but like secretly hoping that something would find me that would allow me to really dive back into to Yiddishkeit and to Jewishness in whatever form. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I said that my, my family wasn't very religious, but my school was, and I really, I really took to it when I was young. You know, I really dove in and I, I deeply, deeply embraced Jewish learning when I was young. And I can think of a lot of Shabbat dinners where uh, at my aunt and uncle's house where, you know, someone would say, okay, who, who knows what happened in this week's Parsha? And I, my hand would shoot into the air, like so excited to like talk about everything that I learned. Um, and so I think there's been kind of like a hole in my life for a while of like sort of Jewish identity, Jewish expression, Jewish communal living. You know, I don't really, I didn't really have a very strong Jewish community. Um, and the, the Yiddish word, the contemporary Yiddish world is is a community and it's a really remarkable one that I feel very grateful to be a part of. Um, and it was just absolutely extraordinary to get to finally physically be a part of Yiddish community this summer working at the Steiner program. Um, and, and a real thrill to be on the other side of it, having been a student for a couple of years, you know, working with Ada Hetko, my co-RA, who uh, it was also someone who it was also a thrill to get to to meet and become friends with and work with who I really look up to as a as a singer and musician and a cultural worker. Um, getting to then be that sort of welcoming figure for these younger folks who are mostly entering the world of Yiddish for the first time or uh, deepening their relationship with it um, was not only a ton of fun. Um, but it also was yet another reminder of what I find so exciting about the world of Yiddish. Um, you know, we had uh, a dozen and a half students and every single one of them came to Yiddish for their own discrete reasons and for a diverse set of reasons. Um, this is one of the things that I think is most exciting about engaging with Yiddish is that you know, whether you're going to a singing event or taking a language class or attending a lecture or going to a dance court, whatever it is, you will find, you know, artists and linguists and historians and language enthusiasts and folks who grew up speaking the language and have it for decades and are getting back in touch with it. Folks whose grandparents spoke it, but they've never heard a word of it folks who aren't Jewish and have their own like really exciting and unique path to Yiddish. Um, and I think sort of the internal diversity of the Yiddish cultural community, the different reasons people come to it and the different ways that people want to express with it and explore it are, uh, are some of its greatest strengths and a lot of what has really drawn me further and further in. Well, um... Applause to you for your enthusiasm, for seeing the possibilities and making a lot of this possible. I mean, I think it just, again, speaks to how much is going on currently in contemporary Yiddish world on all different fronts in ways that none of us could have imagined, but 
um, again, it sort of, it threads the needle as it were. And um, I look forward to seeing sort of you take on the modicot of uh, the 21st century and all else. Um, From your lips to God's ears. Uh, and you'll keep us posted and then we'll talk offline because it would be so much fun to work with you on a uh, virtual public program. But in any case, Absolutely. Um, great. Um, we're holding you to that. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jake, for telling a wonderful story uh, and also for the work that you're creating and for all the work that you are about to create um, and contribute to the ongoing work of Yiddish culture. So thanks for joining me and let's stay in touch. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.